Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Beloved, we're so thrilled that you joined us today on this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. My name is John Russin. I'm the host, and I'm here with my newly retired friend, Pastor Frank Friedman. And Frank, we are two wild, crazy, and retired guys, aren't we? Isn't that fun? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm uh, wild and crazy about our topic today. It's, this is <laughs> such an important issue. It is, my friends. So if you've just joined us, Frank and I are talking about not a pivotal word in Scripture, but a pivotal phrase, a pivotal thought in the church today. And that centers around the question of... Does a Christian, a believer, a heaven-bound, born-again saint really have two natures? Are we part evil and part good? And where we left it off last time, Frank, well, before we dive in, let me give you an opening to spend a moment or two briefly to summarize what we talked about last time in case some folks missed the first installment. Well, basically, John, we noted from Scripture that there's only two kinds of people in the world— those who are in Adam and those who are in Christ. Anyone who is in Adam is a sinner. Anyone who is in Christ, that old sinner self was crucified on the cross with Jesus at the moment of faith, placed in the grave, never to come out of the grave, resurrected, brand new, different, righteous in Christ, a saint. And so we do not have two natures. Our old nature is dead and gone. We are a brand new creation. But the problem is we don't always live like it. And that makes people question, well, do we have two natures? No. Then why do we sin? And I believe that's what we're going after today. Indeed. And we mentioned last time at the very end that we're going to do some dives into Scripture in this episode. So let's begin that right now. I want to look, Frank, at one of the main sources for this belief that we are sinners. And this comes from Jeremiah 17, verse 9. And I'm going to read from the NIV. I don't often read from that, but this particular version captures a thought that really grabbed me. It says this, the heart is more deceitful than all else, and it's beyond cure. Boom. Mm. I love that means it can't be fixed, Frank. It can't be That's saved. Right. Death is the only answer. And so our common answer is that, well, that's old covenant, but that's rather a dismissive. But we do understand that the answer is rooted in the covenants. So take a few moments, if you will, and explain how this ties to the old covenant but really doesn't fit with the new. Sure. It's very clear from that verse that every human being in Adam was born separated from God. And every human being separated from God fails to receive the provision of God. And so they're desperately empty, desperately needy. But without God, they have to get their needs met from people. And that means using and abusing people, controlling and manipulating people, love given with a hook, 
Uh, I'll love you if only you do for me. And so that's desperately wicked. That's desperately deceitful. It's itself instead of love. And so what happened is that every person in Adam was under the power of sin. They had no choice but to sin. And so that amplification that you read of the NIV is perfect. It's beyond cure. That has to be put to death. And that's what the new covenant was all about. It's so glorious, John. In Ezekiel 36, we have a promise from God that he's going to establish a new covenant in which he will take away that old stony, wicked heart. What a glorious, glorious revelation. He's going to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. We couldn't cure our heart. So he takes it and puts it to death. (laughs) (laughs) And then he gives us in the new covenant, a brand new heart, a heart that's soft, a heart that's full of love. And then even greater, he puts his spirit in union with our new spirit and puts the law on our hearts. And what does that mean? It doesn't mean that there's this external code that we strive for. It means he changed our desires, our want tos. We want to do the righteousness of the law. And what does that mean? We want to love. We want to love God. We want to love our neighbor. We want to love our parents. We would never steal from them because we love them. We would never commit adultery because we love. It's a total radical resurrection, transformation of who we used to be to who we are now, a saint of God. Wow. All right, man. I am going to kick an anthill and play devil's advocate because we do steal. We do commit adultery. And so what you just said sounds nice, but it can't possibly be true about me because after all, Jeremiah 17 says, I have a deceitful heart and I've just proved it by my actions. And what you're saying here in Ezekiel, he makes the same promise in Ezekiel 11 and 36. I'll give you a new heart. Well, that's got to be future, Frank, doesn't Mm. it? That's got to be future because I look at how I live. And of course, my behavior determines my identity. So my behavior is the yardstick that I will measure myself. But there's a problem, my friend, because if the new heart is future, That means the new spirit is future too. And the New Testament blows that out of the water. Two passages jump into my mind. First Corinthians three, Paul tells us we're God's temple and his spirit dwells in us. And he says again to the same people, second Corinthians six, we are the temple of the living God. So Frank, this is amazing because The new spirit is already in us if we are Christians, which means the new heart has to be too, because they go hand in hand, don't they? Yes, and that's because the new covenant has already come. Jesus established the new covenant in his death and resurrection. In the Corinthian letter, it says the new covenant is the spirit. Spirit. Wherever the Spirit is, there is the kingdom of God, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And John, the whole book of Hebrews is that in Christ, we have a better way. We have a better priest. 
It's Jesus. He's much better than the high priests of Israel. We have a better sacrifice. Their sacrifices had to be continually offered, and they only covered sin. They didn't take it away. Jesus offered one sacrifice, and our sin is gone forever. And that is why we have a better covenant that is already here. We have new hearts. We have a new spirit. John, the biggest problem I see in the lives of believers is that they don't understand what the Bible teaches. They know what it says, but they don't know what it means. And they don't know what it means because they fail to see that God works in covenants. There was an old, it was real, given by God to Moses on the Mount of Sinai. But it was temporary, its glory faded away, and it was dismissed, nullified, the writer of Hebrews says, when God established the new covenant. And if you fail to understand that, you will still run around saying you have a desperately wicked heart. If I can just run with this for one second, John. We've talked about this before. It's in our books, Done by Grace. But there was a gentleman, dear, dear man, saint of God, very faithful, read his Bible every day, evangelized, cared for people, leader in his church, 50 years of walking with God. And he and I were sitting down and I asked him, is your heart desperately wicked and deceitful beyond all things? He said, oh, yes, it is. And I said, huh. I said, well, wait a minute. What about the new covenant? In Ezekiel 36, God says he's going to take away that heart and give you a new heart. So is that true? And he said, oh, absolutely. And I said, wait a minute. You just said you have a desperately wicked heart, but you also said you have a brand new heart. So which is it? And this dear man looked at me and said, both. And I said, wait a minute. You can't have two hearts. How can you say that? And he said, because God said it. And if God said it, it's true. I have a desperately wicked heart and I have a brand new heart. And John, it was so sad. He didn't understand that there were covenants. They were both true, but one is now obsolete. And he didn't understand that. So he lived out of a spiritual schizophrenia, thinking he was both wicked and righteous at the same time. Wow. Tragic. Yeah. You know, you hit a word, Frank, that in my mind so clearly captures the old covenant as holy and glorious and perfect as it was because it came from God. It's obsolete. And, you know, just think about that word. That's actually the word that's in mm -hmm. Hebrews. It's obsolete. And who wants to live their life with obsolete Cars, mm. appliances, <laughs> houses, shoes. I mean, who wants that? Nobody wants that. It just doesn't work anymore. It doesn't fit. But this gentleman whom you describe was setting his mind on how he chose to act mm -hmm. rather than how he chose to believe. My mind jumps at Jeremiah 24, you know, where again, God makes a promise through the prophet. I'll give them a heart to know me. Mm. Okay, so the, according to this fellow, this could well be future because he obviously doesn't know God yet because he's still sinning. 
But here's the deal, Frank, Philippians 3, Paul says, my great desire is that I may know him. John 17, Jesus, the son of God says, hey, guys, this is eternal life that they may know you. So the very fact that we have a desire to know God is proof, is fruit that his heart, his that new heart is in us. Because if we had no desire to know God, then we have no new heart. We have that old Jeremiah 17 heart, the deceitful and desperately wicked heart. But the fact that we're reading our scripture, that we're going to church, that we care about what God says is proof that we have the new heart. And so if that's the case, then we need to retrain our minds, retrain how we think to set our minds on what's true about us. So we will live according to truth, not measuring our spirituality based on how we occasionally choose to sin. Yeah, John, we have to realize these very important words from Jesus on the cross. It is finished. The work has been done. We don't have to strive to become something. In the work of Christ, we already are something. We are a saint. We are righteous. We have been made holy. What happens now is the walk where we learn to live like who we are. You see, the problem is we spent so much time, so much of our lives living in unbelief, sinfulness, error, lies, bondage, that it's going to take some time to walk out the truth in our lives. And the Holy Spirit in Hebrews even told us this was going to happen. He said, he has perfected forever those who are being perfected. So we're perfect forever, but not in our walk. And the Holy Spirit even said, you've entered into a process where you're going to conform on the outside to what you are already on the inside. You're going to learn to express and experience who you are. And I'll never forget sitting down over breakfast years ago with a guy named Josh McDowell. And he said these words to me, it's Holy Spirit plus truth plus time. And that's really true, John. There's nothing more that needs to be done to us or for us. It's just we learn to release the real us. Yeah. Wow. All right, man. I've got to ask the $10,000 question. We know that everything we've talked about is true because we pulled it right out of scripture. So I've got to ask, where is does the sin come from? I mean, if we're righteous and holy and perfect, we should be free of sin, right? Well, we go back to Romans 7 and the apostle Paul, he addressed this and he says, hey, he blames the evil we do on sin that dwells in us. Now, Frank, about two years ago, you and I did a podcast series on law and grace and a couple of episodes, we focused on the power of sin. 
And I want to take just a moment to direct our listeners to our website, ourresolutehope.com, and look under resources. You'll find the podcast and go back to February and March of 2021. You'll find this. So what I want to do, Frank, for the few minutes we have left is just unpack briefly the power of sin, what it is, how it works, and how it appears in our life. So turn it over, my friend. Well, John, I think we're indebted to a couple named Bill and Annabelle Gillum, who made the focus of their lives to proclaim the glory of the new covenant in Christ. And that verse, you know, there's sin which dwells in me. And they gave the analogy of like a splinter. A splinter is something that's in me, but it's not me. It's foreign to me. It's foreign to who I am. And that's what really this verse is saying. There's something in me. Now we know it's not me because I, the real me, am a righteous, holy child of God. That's who I am. But there's something we don't know. Paul didn't describe it, didn't define it. A residual maybe within our body from the old days in Adam, we have a fallen body. We know it's going to die. It's not that it's an evil body, but there's a part within that body that's connected, maybe pattern-wise, over sin. Then we walked in those patterns. But ultimately, the real issue is Satan. He's the source of all evil. Ephesians 6 says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principality, spirits, powers. He uses and controls an evil world system that is against God. John describes it as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, where we would seek to get life in other than God. And that he then uses this world system to tempt us to live contrary to God and contrary to who we are. And those temptations to find life in other than God, find a place within us that's not us, that's ready to connect with those temptations. And so it becomes very important for us to know the truth, to say things like, well, I'm being tempted to live contrary to who I am. I'm being tempted to find life in other than God, which I know is foolish because God alone is life. And I feel like that would be a good thing to do because my feelings in the past taught me that. Uh, but I know those choices ended in death. So, John, the battle becomes the threshold of the mind and what kind of thoughts we're going to allow into our mind and the necessity to reject those thoughts that come to us from Satan that we need to slam the door on and keep out of our mind. You know, you hit the nail on the head, my friend, the battle in our minds, because, of course, the enemy is a liar. He's the source of all lies. He does nothing but lie. And so it makes sense that the power of sin would masquerade as our old sinful nature. And, of course, it's fueled by people who believe we have two natures. And so we'll say, well, of course. Of course, I choose to sin because that's who I am. Well, it's not who you are. It's that splinter, as you described, and it's masquerading as the old crucified Frank or the old crucified John. 
which by the way, you know, I referenced Romans 6, 6, take our listeners back to that most important book in scripture to talk about uh, what actually happened to the old man. But the power of sin and the deception it weaves for us. Sometimes, Frank, it makes a giant fog in our minds because you said it earlier, we've walked in these paths that they just become normal to us. Sin, at least certain patterns of sin have become normal to us. Actually, they're abnormal, but they've become normal. And so sin constantly undermines us by sending us thoughts. And this is where I wanna get to with my rambling here. It sends us thoughts, uh, which is why Paul encourages to take every thought captive, because not every thought that pops into your head is from the mind of Christ. It can Mm. be from the power of sin, saying, hey, why don't you do that? You've done that so many times in the past. It has made you feel good. You know, it's, it's just part of who you are. So just do it. Well, the warfare comes in in the battle for the mind to say, no, I'm going to take that thought and say, no, I know that that's a lie. I know it will bring death. I know it will turn my head away from my father and have me looking in a different direction. And so it's really a struggle. So Frank, this is tough. This is where most of us really battle in the trenches. So how can we possibly be victorious when we're fighting this war in our minds? Well, John, we have to realize who our enemy is and how he works. In any war, you've got to study your enemy. When George S. Patton came up against Rommel in Africa, he read Rommel's book on tank warfare. So he knew how his enemy was going to work. And the Bible is our manual on our enemy and how he works. And so he's going to feed thoughts into our mind. And this may be one of the most important things a believer needs to learn. First Corinthians 2.16, you said it, John. We have the mind of Christ. That's our possession. It is a given. So when we get a thought that causes us or calls us that contrary to who we are, man, I'd like to beat the daylights out of that person. We have to ask ourselves, does the mind of Christ say, I want to beat the daylights out of people? And then we would say, well, of course not. John, just because we have a thought doesn't mean it's our thought. That's why it's so important to understand, embrace, and stand in that we have the mind of Christ so we can, as you said, take those other thoughts captive in obedience to Christ and reject them if they are not in harmony with who we are. I remember a dear friend of ours who said it this way, we can't keep the birds from flying over our head but we can keep them from making a nest in our hair. And then he went on to say, it's one thing to have a thought, but it's quite another to invite that thought to sit down for a cup of tea. We can't invite negative, nasty thoughts that we know are not in line with the truth to sit down with us and have a cup of tea. We cannot allow thoughts that call us contrary to who we are to make a nest in our hair. We are on the hook. This is our responsibility. Like Colossians says, 
set your mind on things above. Be transformed, Romans 12, by the renewing of your mind. The battleground is the mind, and we've got to fight. We've got to reject thoughts that are not in harmony with the truth. Amen. It sounds so encouraging, but boy, it's truly life in the trenches when you are struggling. Because mm -hmm. when the temptations come, and they will, mm -hmm. they won't ever stop. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. I wish they would. When I recognize the deception that's being offered up to me, I'll say out loud sometimes, no, that's a lie. Mm -hmm. That's a trap. If I do that, I will turn my gaze away from my father. And I don't care what I'm hearing in my brain, uh, why I should do it. It's a lie. And so mm. I choose no. And then I'll turn right to Jesus and say, help. Mm. Because I tell you, this really sounds attractive to me right now. That's the beauty of the enemy, if I can use that word beauty. He's so skillful that he makes mm. the lies just sound so attractive. Yes, he so does. I just say, Jesus, help, please help open my eyes to see the truth about what's happening. Wow. So wrap us mm -hmm. up, my friend. Thank you for that privilege to wrap this up. I would say two things. You said a key word, trenches. When the enemy comes against us with an onslaught of his lies and solicitations and temptations, it is like the trench warfare of World War One. It's assault, 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 assault that just comes like the waves of the seashore relentlessly against us. And it's going to be a fight. But here's the key. We do not fight against a thought. If we fight against the thought, we're continuing to think of the thought. Quick example. I am not going to smoke for a person who's addicted to smoking. I'm not going to smoke. I'm not going to smoke. What are they thinking of doing? Smoking. To fight against a thought, you have to replace the thought. So when it comes, I'm not going to smoke. We don't fight against that. Replace that thought. Jesus, I thank you that you are my life and my love, that you are my source. And see what's happened? We've replaced the thought with another thought. Now, when you're successful in that and you make it through the trench warfare, what I have found by experience is that the enemy's not foolish. He's not stupid. He'll stop the frontal assault. He'll leave you alone for a while. Let you settle into a complacency, failing to be alert, failing to stand with your armor on. And then what he'll do is he'll ambush you in a guerrilla warfare and throw up those thoughts when you're least expecting it. And that's when we are very susceptible to fall. So that's how I see the nature of this battle, John. Indeed. And, you know, we started out talking about the struggle to understand the truth about our one nature, but we wound up talking, Frank, about how to wrestle with, how to fight against the source of those lies, the source of that sin so that we can walk in freedom. So thank you, my friend, for your insight there. And uh, after sitting under you for decades, I think I'm finally beginning to learn a little bit. <laughs> All right, friends, you've been listening to the Our Resolute Hope podcast. As Frank and I have uh, been talking about whether believers have a sin nature and a holy nature, 
And then we wound up talking about uh, the power of sin and how these thoughts actually come into our lives and how to deal with them. So we invite you to check out our website, ourresolutehope.com. Lots of resources there. Sign up for our newsletter, pop us an email. We'd love to hear from you. And again, one more time, we close with this reminder from Hebrews chapter 6, that we have an anchor for our souls, a living hope, a blessed hope, a resolute hope. So today, cling to Jesus, uh, no matter how hard it might seem. Cling to Jesus. Say no to the lies. Recognize them as the traps they are. And choose by gritting your teeth to accept the truth that you're a saint who doesn't have to say yes to sinning. And so today, choose hope and choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself, his own life. He wants to live his life with you, in you, and through you as you trust him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.